0: If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 10. We're picking up where we left off last week. And as we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang these words, as my guide, my guard, my friend, Lead me to my journey's end. Show me what I am to do. Every hour my strength renew. So Father, would you be pleased at this hour to renew our strength? Not a strength of our own, but a strength that comes from you. So Father, would your Word and Spirit have their way with us? Would you open our eyes to see the glory of your truth in your Word? Be pleased now, Father, to meet your gathered people as we look to your word by your Holy Spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. After this Sunday, we've got a couple more Sundays left in our summer psalm series, so we'll make it through Psalm 12, and the plan right now is to start a series from Paul's letter to the Galatians there the Sunday after Labor Day. Well, I hope you are beginning to realize as we spend some time in the Psalms that the Psalms are more current. They are more up-to-date than certainly today's newspaper. They're even more up-to-date than your news feed. They are more up-to-date than a live stream. I think all of us really like to see things in real time. And, and those of us who may have smartphones with notifications, you know, we set it so that the latest breaking news is brought to our attention and we, we, we gravitate toward uh, being in the know and, and seeing things as they happen. The Psalms help us to see things going on in our life as they happen. They are more current, they are more up-to-date than the best news out there. God's Word indeed is living and active. God's Word is useful, it is practical, it is relevant. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16, we don't make it useful we don't somehow make it relevant we don't have the ability but what we do have by God's grace is the ability to continue to discover its relevance to to um, to see how practical it is it is useful for life and godliness for instruction for training for correction so that we may all be thoroughly equipped for every good work Speaking of the Psalms, John Calvin, the great reformer, says that they are an anatomy of the soul. Indeed, they open us up, don't they? So that we can see what's inside, and they provide language, I'm finding, that expresses how we're feeling, what we're thinking. But we might as well also say that the Psalms are medicine for the soul as well. They close us up. As I'm spending time, as I did this past week in Psalm 10, Psalm 10 surprisingly opened me up. But also, especially as I got toward the end, it closed me up. It's the anatomy of the soul, Calvin says. It's medicine for the soul. It's wounding. It's healing. And I believe we're going to see, and by God's grace, be able to proclaim to ourselves and others the relevance of God's Word that we find in Psalm 10. Now Psalm 9 and 10 as we mentioned last week are thought at times to be one psalm. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament it is brought together as one psalm but in the Hebrew text it's it's two psalms um, and we're going to treat it as such but they they are related because we saw last week that We were learning to be confident in God, the God who is today, I believe we will see, who is at times hidden, but never absent. We are learning to be confident in God, who is at times hidden, but never absent. I believe Psalm 10 is about learning how to respond well to a crisis of faith, brought about When God seems hidden and he seems to be absent. Now we've all had them. I mean, the Psalms help us to see that David, the man after God's own heart, could also say, as we will see, he will ask a very honest question. He will also later say, how long, O Lord? Now you may be in the middle of a crisis of faith right now. And until that day when we will no longer have to walk by faith, but instead we will be able to walk by sight, we will be finding ourselves in another crisis of faith. But God's Word helps to prepare for and to deal with our various crises of faith. So let's take a look at Psalm 10. First, we will note our perplexity at what we see around us. Listen to verse 1. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far afar uh, off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? My friends, that is a blunt, honest question. But I want to encourage you that it is not evidence of unbelief to ask that question rather it is the evidence of faith as we will see notice the complaint david says the lord stands afar off he hides himself in other words if you wanted to rephrase this lord where are you we've all asked that question haven't we lord where are you i need you Well, what is the trouble that David sees? He says, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Therefore, David is acknowledging it is a time of trouble that he is in. Well, is it the things that insurance protects us against, natural disasters, health issues, a catastrophic financial problem? Or is it the trouble with people, wicked people? Now, it seems like that's where the trouble is found, as we will see. Or is it really found there with wicked people? Because David will say that the wicked are prospering, but the righteous are suffering, and God doesn't seem to care. I don't know about you all, but one of the hardest questions I get, or the hardest statements I get, is when somebody says, you don't care. Parents, have you ever heard that from your kids? Friends, have you heard that? Spouses, have you heard that? David is, in a way, saying, God, do you care? It would appear that God has bailed out. God has abandoned his responsibility to rule the world. David is more troubled by the apparent absence of God than he is by the presence of enemies. Now, kids, this question is for you. What is going to happen tomorrow between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. here? At about 2.30 in particular, what's going to happen? Yeah, I heard it. A solar eclipse. A, sol- a total eclipse of the sun. I believe our area gets 92% of the total eclipse. I mean, we're almost as good as, as um, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Not quite, but, but pretty good. A total eclipse of the sun tomorrow afternoon. A, a real question is going to be able to be asked. Sun, where are you? Where are you? It's going to be an honest question tomorrow. Where is the sun? So David asked this blunt, honest question. Where are you, Lord? Do you care? Now let's look What he goes on to talk about and that is a description of the wicked. Verses 2 through 11. In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are There is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face, he will never see it. David goes on for several verses in this detailed description of the wicked. Now if you turn back to Psalm 1, you see that two characters are introduced in this introductory psalm. The righteous man and the wicked man. And we see a further description here in Psalm 10 of the wicked. And there are two basic characteristics. The wicked are proud. We see arrogance in verse 2, boasting in verse 3, pride in verse 4. Not only are the wicked proud, David says, the wicked persecute. With their words, we see in verse 7. With their actions in verse 8 through 10. Now when Paul the Apostle in his letter to the Romans has to describe total depravity, the the sinful heart of man, what is man like, one of the passages he goes to is Psalm 10 in his description of the wicked. In his description of those who uh, are dead in sin. The wicked are proud and the wicked persecute. Now you might want to think again... David's biggest problem is the presence of the wicked. I mean, look at this detailed description. But as we will see, David's biggest problem actually is not the presence of the wicked, but his, his, but God's apparent absence. Tomorrow afternoon, I don't know if our biggest problem will be the, the darkness that we we see around us in the middle of the day. But will it be the absence of the sun? The wicked are proud and the wicked persecute. Martin Luther in looking at Psalm 10 says this, There is not in my judgment a psalm which describes the mind, manners, works, words, feelings, and the fate of the ungodly with so much propriety, fullness, and light ...as this psalm. In a word, the wicked are ungodly. There is no room for God in their lives. Look again at verse 4. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Look at verse 11. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. And in the middle of that in verse 6... He's pretty confident. I shall not be moved. The wicked are ungodly because there's no room for God in their lives. Why? Because they're so full of themselves. You see it. They're full of themselves. God is not significant because they are significant. He is of no consequence because they are calling the shots. They are running things. Here we see the wicked... Are not philosophical atheists, but they are practical atheists. We see it in their own words and their thoughts. Again, all his thoughts are: there is no God. The knowledge of God. I was rereading portions of Knowing God by J.I. Packer, one of the best books outside the Scriptures ever written, I believe. If you haven't read that, uh, let me know. I'll be glad to get a copy into your hands and. And Packer, of course, by the very title of his book, uh, speaks of the absolute need and necessity for people to know God. Well, yesterday, I, I, uh, Michelle's been reading this uh, systematic theology book on our bedside table. It was pretty thick. It's called The Doctrine of God by John Frame, A Theology of Lordship, and I um, I opened it up and I just started reading on page 1. And in chapter 1, page 1, the author, John Frame, says this, There is nothing more important than knowing God. He's probably read the book. Consider these scripture passages, and he quotes Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength. Or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. He goes on. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17.3 Absolute need to know God. But Frame continues by saying, but we live in an age in which the knowledge of God is rare. Many speak glibly about their belief in some God or other, but most would not even claim to know the true God, the God of the Bible. We know of so many people of whom the psalmist words are true, and guess where he goes? Psalm 10, verse 4. In his pride the wicked does not seek him, for all for all his thoughts therein, for in all his thoughts there is no room for God. He says in his heart, because there's no room for God, I shall not be moved, I shall not meet adversity. God has forgotten, he says, he has hidden his face, he'll never see it. A later description, he says, In his heart you will not call to account. What a description of the wicked. Now, a word about the wicked. Now, while they are godless, if Psalm 1 is any indication, the wicked can be nice, they can be polite. They can even be regular church attenders. Why? Because in their heart, they have no room for God. They say, God will not call me to account. He does not know. He does not see. We see in this passage, unchecked pride leads to persecution of others. You build yourself up by putting someone else down. Whether verbally or is the text indicated, even to the degree of murder. All who are ungodly are the same in substance. The difference is in degree, not in kind. Again, God's word searches us. It opens us up and examines us. So, the other day I'm reading this description... Of the wicked. And I think to myself. Wow. That's me at times. A practical atheist. Acknowledging of course there's a God. But there's no room for him in this decision. No room for him in this matter. God's word searches us. It opens us up. It examines us. This is what David has also said thus far. He, he's crying out to God in verse 1, Why, O oh Lord, why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And look how David's words seem similar to his description of the wicked. He says in his heart, God has forgotten He has hidden his face. Notice, David is saying, I believe, help my unbelief. But this is not where David stays. He moves forward and he moves forward into prayer. David is perplexed at the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. And so when he does what he knows he can do, he prays. I was thinking about Psalm 73, Asaph, who said, in looking at the wicked, their prosperity, nothing's going wrong. And looking at his life, he says, my foot had almost slipped. But then what happens? He goes into the sanctuary. He goes into the presence of the Lord and he sees their, their destiny. And here David goes, as it were, into the sanctuary through prayer. Because we see in verses 12 through 15, our prayer to God asking for his help. Look with me beginning at verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. You see, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Well, when what we feel or what we see collides with what we know, we take action. And here we see David taking action in prayer. What does he do? David does not take matter into his own hands. He he takes the matters and places them into God's hand. He prays. It's not a last resort. It's David's instinct. It's his first resort. David, in the words of what a friend we have in Jesus, takes it to the Lord in prayer. And as we just sang a few moments ago, we are coming to a king. Big petitions do we bring. So what is David's petitions? What does he request? Look at verse 12. Request number one. He says to God, get up. Once again, praying the promises of God as we saw in Psalm 9. The first request, get up, Arise. Wake up. Lift up your hand. Don't forget the afflicted. Because who God is determines what He does. He says, you see, you note, you are the helper of the fatherless. But David's got a second request. It's not just to God, get up, but get going. In the verse 15. Not only lift up your hand, but also... Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account. In other words, render them powerless. Prevent them from doing harm any longer. Do you guys approach God in prayer with that kind of boldness? In a very respectful way, a reverent way, do you? have the freedom to ask God to get up and get going? The more we know the promises of God found in Scripture, I believe we will grow in confidence to pray those things, children, that He has promised in the Bible. It's what David is doing. The threat is deadly, the opponent is mighty, but prayer is enough because of who the Lord is. And David says in a word, look with me at verse 16, the Lord is king. So he moves from prayer to praise. Our praise to God for who He is and what He does. The Lord is king Verse 16, forever and ever the nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. David praises God first for who he is. Because this psalm does not only describe the wicked. This psalm describes God. The Lord is king. He is judge and warrior. God reigns for the sake of his people. How long is his reign? Kids, how long does the Lord reign and rule? Are you ready? Forever and ever. Notice this is... in in distinction, in contrast to the temporary prosperity of the wicked. Here David is affirming this, that justice delayed is not justice denied. I think some people argue that, wait a minute, justice delayed is justice denied, but David is saying, no, 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 justice delayed is not justice denied. Why the delay? The kindness of God. The kindness that provides time to repent. We sang a few moments ago, this is my Father's world. Did you catch verse 3? Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems also oh so strong... God is the ruler yet. That's what David is singing in this psalm. Years ago there was a a more updated version of this. A song uh, from a a singer-songwriter from Kentucky called King of the Jungle. What I feel is telling me this world's gone crazy. And my friends, if you don't think the world is going crazy the last few weeks, you are very much more disciplined than I am. To not knowing what's going on. Because it does really feel at times that this world has gone crazy. But the song song says this. But what is real says that God is still on his throne. He's still king of the jungle. Most of you have flown on an airplane and some of you here fly airplanes, Right? And we all like clear weather, right? And when there's clear weather, what are we operating under, Paxton? VFR, right? Visual flight rules. Well, what about the cloudy weather? What about the stormy weather? Anybody been there? You think the pilot's flying by looking out the windshield? What's he flying by? What's she flying by? The instruments. The pilot is trained and is trusting the instruments to get the plane up and over and down safely. Here in corporate worship, week after week, we are, as it were, looking to the instruments. We're looking to God's Word together. And it's not a single engine, single pilot plane here. It is a multi-crewed aircraft. We're working together. We're looking at the instruments God is providing the means of grace. We are being reminded of what we already know because after a long and tough week, some of us are disoriented and God's Word by His Spirit orients us to the truth. David doesn't just praise God for who He is, but he praises God for what He does, what He has done, what He will do. God hears the desires of the afflicted for relief. He inclines His ear. He will strengthen the hearts of His people. He doesn't necessarily change the circumstances. He changes us. He changes our vision, what we see. He changes our attitude. And David knows that God will do justice. David ends here in a different place than where he began. He ends with great confidence in the righteous reign of the Lord. Being perplexed led David to prayer, which leads to praise. Being perplexed is no reason to give up. Rather, it's a, me, it's, a, it's a reason to keep going, moving toward God, who at times may be hidden, but is never absent. Well, my friends, did you know that Psalm 10 is really good news for us? I mean, would you look at Psalm 10 and say good news? It's good news because the hidden God is revealed fully and finally and completely in Jesus Christ because Psalm 10 anticipates the time when justice will be done to the fatherless and oppressed so that the man of earth may strike terror no more. The hidden God will be revealed. In Exodus 33 verse 20 we read this. God the Lord says this. You cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And indeed Paul writes Timothy and says this about God. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible. The only God. But along came Jesus. The image of the invisible God from Colossians 1. And the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of His nature, Hebrews 1. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Are you ready? In the face of Jesus Christ. Because Psalm 10 looks forward to Jesus who appeared to destroy the works of the devil. To to destroy the man who is of the earth that he may strike terror. No more. And the other aspect of the good news is this. God does care. David ventures out God where are you God do you care God's word of course answers yes and the greatest demonstration of God's care of course is the cross because the crisis of our faith for the believer is found in this one question God do you care If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Including the strength to keep walking by faith when God seems far off and hidden. Now, we saw in our psalm a number of times what the wicked says in his heart. Well, in our crises of faith, we need to be able to say in our hearts something along these lines. While God may be presently, while He may presently seem to be hidden from our eyes, we are not hidden from His eyes. Just as the sun tomorrow will be hidden for a time behind the moon, but still there, absolutely none of us sitting here are going to think that the sun has gone away are you john patrick no why because you know the sun is there and that's what the believer does know as well god while at times seemingly hidden is in all reality he's not absent but he's actively present working all things together for good for all those called according to His purpose as He works in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the honesty of Your Word. Father, we thank You that men after Your own heart, men who have been called according to Your purpose, they continue to struggle in the difficulty of life. And Father, we also hear. Many of us struggle. We all struggle at various times and in various ways. But Father, would you help us to grow in our confidence that although you may appear to be hidden at times, you are not absent, but you indeed are actively working in us to to do your good pleasure in our lives. Oh, Father, would you help us to continue to walk by faith and not by sight, even when the circumstances of life seem to come between you and us. O Father, be pleased to hear the cries of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.